0: Good Friday is somewhat of a mixed bag in the Christian world. For some Christians, it's a special day that they will literally take off work if their job doesn't recognize this day, and that's probably the case for most jobs these days. Other Christians will make sure that they go to the Good Friday service that's going to be taking place at their church, And many other Christians have just not spent time thinking about this day to any degree. And really, the only meaning for Good Friday is that it's a couple days before Easter Sunday. Well, I don't want to advocate some kind of hardcore ritualism, but what I do want to do is spend a little bit of time considering Good Friday with you And maybe, hopefully, build a deeper appreciation for the things that were going on that led up to the crucifixion of Jesus. All right, let's spend some time talking about this. Better Bible Reading Podcast. This is Kevin Morris, and I am glad that you have decided to join me for today's episode as we consider Good Friday. And it is Good Friday on this very day. And again, I don't know what that term means to you. It can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But of course, the general idea of Good Friday is that it is the day in which we acknowledge the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and anticipating the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. I've never been part of a church that has openly acknowledged Good Friday by having special services or or things like that. What I have done in the past, though, that I have really benefited from, and honestly, I haven't done this in a couple years, is there was a, a time where on Good Friday, I would go uh either I would take off work early or I would just wait until after work, and I don't live all that far from the beach. And so I would drive to the beach, have my headphones and my audio bible, and I would just walk up and down the shore listening to the passion narratives from all four gospels. So basically that's you know, the tail end of each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, because all four of the Gospels uh, put a different uh, contextual emphasis in the events that they uh, write about uh, during the time leading up to the crucifixion of Christ. And I found that to be a really helpful exercise just for me to get kind of a panorama Of all of the things going on in the Last Supper, the betrayal and rest of Christ as he stands before both the Jewish leaders as well as the representatives of the Roman Empire. And just be able to see all of that in the fourfold witness of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is really powerful. And of course, you don't have to go to the beach to do this, you don't have to listen to it on the Audio Bible, you can simply read these from the luxury and comfort of your own home or wherever you are. But I just wanted to throw it out there at the very front end of this conversation to say that there are some kind of fun and interesting ways for us to consider Good Friday by reminding ourselves that the front end, or we might say, the foundation of Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is what happened on Good Friday. Now, I've always found Good Friday to be an interesting way to describe the day because most people, when they think about Good Friday, if we're talking about the betrayal of the Son of God, if we're talking about the wrongful crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Entirely innocent, entirely obedient to the will of his father, a man without sin, the Son of God himself, fully human, fully divine. There's nothing good about that. Good is probably the most opposite of the kind of things that were happening on Good Friday. And so it would be more fitting to Call it Bad Friday or Evil Friday or something like that. But of course, the idea of Good Friday has not to do with whether Jesus deserved to be crucified or whether he truly was guilty in the eyes of the Jews or the Romans, but it has to do with what he did for us. It was a loving sacrifice to take our penalty for sin away, and to bear it himself. That's the good news of Good Friday. What I want to do is not necessarily go through all of the events that were taking place that led up to Jesus' crucifixion uh, the morning of Friday, as it were, but instead what, what I would like to do is rewind and consider the foundations all the way back in Genesis and this won't be an in-depth study or anything like that but what makes good friday good is our ability to understand what was going on was far more than what meets the eye that's kind of the irony of Jesus' 12 apostles who were alongside him, the crowds, the Jewish leaders, Pilate himself, all they could understand, and of course to varying degrees here, all they could understand was the face value of the situation unfolding. Jesus. In fact, even told his 12, as he was on his way to Jerusalem on three separate times, he predicted the betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion, and resurrection. And he says that they wouldn't understand these things on the front end, but they would understand them later. And of course, in the upper room in the Gospel of John, when Jesus is speaking to them, one of the things that he tells them is that when they receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself will bear witness to all the things that Jesus had already told them and basically give them that glorious spiritual light bulb moment. But at least as things were taking place, There was very much a face-value interpretation. Even the Roman guards who were standing there before Jesus as he was being crucified, it was a face-value event until Jesus dies on the cross and they start to see all of the things happening and they profess, truly, this is the Son of God. So, the interesting part about Good Friday is that people who were right there, eyewitnesses, the ones who could see everything unfolding before their eyes, could only see it with their eyes. They couldn't draw back from the foundations of what was happening. And these foundations of what was happening go all the way back to Genesis, because in Genesis we have. That great promise, the proto evangelion, the first proclamation of the gospel, which is that fancy Latin phrase is all it means, is the the first preaching of the gospel. Genesis three fifteen after Adam and Eve sin, God says to the serpent, Genesis three fifteen, I will put enmity between you and the woman. In between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So, that first promise of the gospel, in very, very fine summary form, is God saying that one is going to come to crush the head of the serpent through the woman through her offspring, and the one who crushes the head of the serpent will first have his heel bruised. Now, of course, this is figurative language here to depict the fact that Jesus' death on the cross is a bruising of his heel. In other words, it's not the final story. Good Friday would certainly not be good if that's all we celebrated. was Jesus' death on the cross. There were thousands of people who died on the cross. It was just like an electric chair of their day. It was a form of execution. And many people died on the cross. There's nothing significant to just say that this person died on the cross if they didn't rise from the dead afterward. So in the eyes of the eyewitnesses. Jesus' death on the cross was a mortal wound. It was the nail in the coffin because he died. He didn't get up from the cross. Everybody thought if he truly was the Son of God, then he's not going to die on the cross. He's going to be rescued by angels, or Elijah is going to come down from heaven Or maybe the father is going to audibly speak from heaven, and the son of God is going to be rescued and withheld from the sacrifice. Uh, Similar all the way back to Genesis 22, as Isaac is offered by his father Abraham, or at least attempted uh, to offer his son Isaac on the altar. That Abraham being obedient to God to sacrifice his one and only son, that, of course, at the last minute, God rescues his son and provides a sacrifice uh, from the animal there that they saw. So Isaac is never actually sacrificed. The son is rescued at the last minute. So that kind of idea how much more should that be true for the Son of God Himself? He should be rescued at the last minute. But of course, the story of the cross is that the Son of God was not rescued. He was not uh, pulled out at the last minute. He faced death itself and underwent death itself. But the idea is that He did that for us. He bore the penalty. He took on the ramifications of the reality of sin. As Genesis 3 gives us, again, probably a chapter in the Bible that we would describe as bad, maybe even the worst chapter in the Bible, because after the the good news, after the Good and very good idea of Genesis one and two, you get to Genesis three and suddenly things come crashing down. The fellowship with God that Adam and Eve enjoyed was distorted, it was severed, it was done away with instead of fellowshipping with God, they hid from him instead of loving God and obeying him they Transgressed, they sinned, they disobeyed, even after God had said that the one who eats from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil would die. So the wages of sin is death. And we have the saddest reality for all that proceeds throughout the history of mankind presented to us right there in Genesis 3. So you could say, with the exception of the Passion narratives in the four gospels that Genesis 3 is the darkest chapter in the entire Bible. However, it also is where we first find the gospel proclaimed and foretold in that 15th verse of Genesis chapter 3. So while it is a very sad reality for mankind in Genesis 3, it also calls us to look ahead to Jesus Christ as he comes on the scene and takes on uh, the penalty of sin on our behalf. An interesting thing that I was thinking about not too long ago was the idea of the choreography of the passion of Christ throughout the Four Gospels. Now, I mentioned that each of the four Gospels present a different aspect or different element or different vantage point of the things that are going on as Jesus uh, leaves that upper room with his disciples after going through the Last Supper with them. And you have different points of emphasis given to us in. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when he's arrested. So you have dialogue that's shared with us in some that isn't shared with us in others. You have extended dialogue that's shared with us, like in the Gospel of John, for example, in the events leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, where he's speaking with the high priest, he's speaking with Pilate, and it has that idea of Truth and Pilate asked that famous question, What is truth? and all of that. So, it is well worth our time to analyze all four of those to get a great summarized picture of the events. But in all four, it's fascinating that the events taking place before the eyes of everybody there was simply at face value, it was simply not recognizing that much more is going on than what meets the eye. And one of the things that I find really interesting here is the symbolism of the events right up to Jesus' crucifixion. I'll give you an example of this. So when God gives the directed attention to Adam, in Genesis chapter 3. Remember, after Adam and Eve eat of the fruit, God addresses the serpent, Eve, and Adam directly. And there's a different element of cursing that comes toward each of them. Well, in verse 17, God addresses Adam. And he says, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Now that's really interesting to me because. When we think about how Jesus is the fulfillment of two verses prior, that he's going to be the one that comes to crush the head of the serpent, while it looks like he faces a mortal wound, much more than just a strike at his heel, we we find that Jesus' death is not final, that he does rise from the dead. And so it is simply a striking of his heel. Meanwhile, because Jesus conquers death, we find in the book of Hebrews and 1 John, they both speak to the fact that Jesus' death destroyed the works of the devil, and it overthrew the one who brought death into the world. And while the guilt is laid on Adam, it was, of course, the serpent, the devil, who tempted. Eve, and Adam as well. And so it's directed at the devil by saying that Jesus' death destroyed the one who had the power over death, the devil, and Jesus coming into human history and conquering the grave, rising again from the dead, destroyed the works of the devil. So we find that Jesus is the one who gives the crushing blow to the serpent. He crushes his head through his death on the cross, an unexpected path of victory, and his rising again from the dead. But in order to do that, he has to take upon himself as a representative of this new covenant, not only that Jesus gives us his righteousness by being fully obedient, by doing the will of the Father always, by not being like Adam and being seduced by the serpent, but by overcoming temptation, being entirely righteous from beginning to end, living a perfect life, he satisfies the requirements of the law, and he gives that to us by faith, but he also takes upon himself the penalties and the wrath that is due to us for the fact that we have not done that and cannot do that. Jesus takes that upon himself. He takes the curse upon himself, and it's interesting that part of the curse given or presented to Adam Curses the ground because of you. It'll bear thorns and thistles. It's interesting, in the choreography, the symbolism of Jesus' crucifixion on Good Friday, we think about what was placed on his head. It was a crown of thorns. Now, I don't know how prevalent the idea of... A crown of thorns was during the first century. I don't know if that was something that the soldiers just came up with kind of in the moment as a way to mock him. It's like they just found a kind of a, a spiral of, of thorns on the ground nearby and just said this this guy says he's king, so let's give him a crown and they just out of out of blasphemy, out of mockery they they just force it on his head. I would imagine that's how it played out, but I don't know if there are other instances where this was a practical joke the soldiers liked to do, but in any case, it's interesting that, again, more is going on than what meets the eye. In the eyes and the mind of the soldiers there, they're simply mocking Jesus. They put purple robes on him because he claims to be a king and they put this crown of thorns on him because he claims to be king, and so uh, here is your crown, O glorious king, is the mindset of these soldiers, and yet the symbolism of it is, is a striking picture, that Jesus takes on the curse itself. He bears the curse itself on our behalf, the curse that thorns and thistles are the fruits of Adam's transgression. Thorns and thistles are the best that we can produce in our sin and misery, and Jesus bears that curse upon himself. He takes it upon himself for us, and that crown of thorns is a fascinating picture of that. We have that... Wonderful summary from the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, where we're told, beginning in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. There's that second piece of symbolism that is so often missed. What started all of this? While well, it was Adam and Eve eating from the fruit of the tree. And here's Jesus dying on a cross, hanging on the tree like the fruit that was hanging on the tree that Adam and Eve took from when they were told not to. Here is Jesus presented as the one taking the curse upon himself by hanging on a tree for us. There's certainly more going on than what meets the eye. And these are just a couple examples of how fascinating it is to see that what is presented to us in the darkest chapter of the Bible, Genesis 3, is paid forward by Christ in the Gospels, in the events that we call Good Friday. And we're shown that what he does is to redeem, to rescue, to make right all that has gone wrong. And so, friend, I hope That as you maybe consider Good Friday in a new light, as you maybe have your eyes open to the fact that much more was going on than what met the eyes of the eyewitnesses, even, that you come to deeply appreciate Jesus Christ, not just as a general Savior, as a theoretical Savior, but as your savior thanks so much for listening to this episode of the better bible reading podcast i do wish you a good rest of your good friday and i pray that you are able like myself to celebrate the fact that this death on the cross that jesus christ underwent was not final but that he did in fact rise from the dead and that we will celebrate on resurrection sunday For more resources, please head over to betterbiblereading.com and you can find a free course on how to read the Bible. Please feel free to browse around the website for other resources as well. Well, thanks so much for listening, friends. Take care and have a great rest of your day.